It's time once again for the Go-Giver Podcast, where we explore five timeless principles that will increase the profitability of your business and the joy in your life. Now, here's your host, the co-author of The Go-Giver, Bob Berg. Hello again, I'm Bob Berg, and we have what I hope you'll find to be an interesting and value-packed show today. In helping someone see our side of a situation, often the best thing we can do is first see it and verbalize it from their side. We'll look at that in our thought of the day. And in our interview segment, we'll learn from master sales practitioner, author, and consultant Ian Altman that the most successful sales professionals absolutely operate on the same side as their buyers. That and more on today's show. I thank you for joining us. In our last episode, we looked at the reason for conflicts, how they can escalate, how to prepare for them in advance, and even questions we can ask ourselves in order to overcome them so that both sides, if you will, can win. Let's look at still another way. This is by moving yourself closer to their side of an issue. It's one of the most effective ways to politely and gently disarm a person with whom you're having a disagreement and help them to see your side of the issue. I'm going to suggest that you actually point out their side of the issue. In other words, discover and vocalize the areas in which you agree with them. That is, where you not only can understand how they feel, but where their view actually makes sense. When doing this, you, in essence, say to them, hey, there are two legitimate viewpoints here. You also have a reasonable argument. You have a view that is very worthy of consideration. Now he or she can relax and let go of their defensiveness. They know they're not in a battle with someone out to get them, prove them wrong, or otherwise look to win and, while doing so, take no prisoners. He or she will have a newly found respect for you and a newly open mind towards the ideas you present. In fact, after doing this, the other person will typically point out the positive aspect of your side. And why not? You're now showing mutual respect and working from a foundation of truth, kindness, and genuine interest in each other. One of the best at this was the 16th U.S. President, Abraham Lincoln, who, early in his career, was a very successful lawyer. It was well known that he would typically begin his opening arguments by summing up the other side's case. He would point out the positive aspects of their position, and how very worthy they were of consideration. In fact, it was said that if you walked into the courtroom at that time, you'd actually think he was representing the other side. What Mr. Lincoln was doing was establishing his credibility with the judge and jury and demonstrating that he was seeking only the truth, that he realized both sides had a legitimate view. Wow. Now, when it was time to present his client's side, he'd really pour it on. But he could get away with doing that because his credibility factor was now so high. After all, the judge and jury reasoned that if he was so willing to give credibility to the viewpoint of the other side, he must be honest and be speaking straight from his heart. You can duplicate President Lincoln. Of course, here you're not attempting to win over a third party, but rather the other individual. The key is to genuinely speak straight from your heart. Even if you don't believe they have a legitimate point, you can at least communicate that you understand they believe they have a legitimate point and a right to their point of view. I believe a key to success in this regard is a sense of humility and control of our ego. When we're truly desirous of the truth and not just in winning an argument, people understand our intent and are much quicker to be open to and possibly accepting of our position. 
Are you a successful entrepreneur or sales professional, but you know you have the potential for even greater sales success? Reality is, most entrepreneurs, small business owners, and corporate salespeople aren't nearly as successful at selling as they could be. Fortunately, it need not be that way for you. Join me, along with my brilliant business partner and strategist, Kathy Tejanel, for two days in Orlando, Florida, and attend our Go-Giver Sales Academy. GoGiver Sales Academy will help you communicate more value to your customers, reach more people with your exceptional value, sell at full price, become objection-proof, and embrace the abundance that's your birthright. You'll work personally with Kathy and me in a small, mastermind-like environment. These workshops are limited to only 12 people, so it'll be impactful and transformational. Learn more at GoGiverSalesAcademy.com and see what others are saying. Click the link in the show notes. Remember, money is an echo of value. Ian Altman helps companies worldwide that want to modernize their sales and marketing systems and processes. You can read his articles each week online in Forbes and Inc. He's also the host of the weekly podcast, Grow My Revenue Business Cast on iTunes. Ian started, sold, and grew his companies worldwide to values of more than $1 billion. His latest book, Same Side Selling, a radical approach to breakthrough sales barriers co-authored with Jack Quarles, was recommended by marketing luminary Seth Godin as one of the two books to read on consultative selling. And that says a lot, as Seth's other recommendation was Neil Rackham's classic Spin Selling. And I agree with Seth on both books. Ian's website is ianaltman.com. That website, as well as his podcast website, will be featured in the show notes. Please check them out. Welcome, Ian. Thanks for having me here, Bob. Oh, my pleasure. You're one of my favorites. And I've got to tell you, first, I, I love, love the premise, the title, the premise of Same Side Selling. Getting the buyer and seller away from adversarial tensions and working like they're assembling a puzzle together. Now, do you, I've got to ask, do you find that there are salespeople today, especially in the larger, more enterprise-based sales, that still actually believe they can succeed within an adversarial framework what you are early in the book called the adversarial trap you know what i don't think that anyone actually intentionally sets out on an adversarial path rather i think there are things that sales professionals have been taught over the years that unwittingly trigger these adversarial tensions so mm. my my co-author co jack quarles you could probably guess by his last name quarles that jack spent <laughs> tw you know two decades in purchasing and procurement mm -hmm. jack actually helped me uncover and together we figured out, look, here are the things that salespeople do that they think are going to actually be received well and actually mm -hmm. trigger these adversarial responses. Okay. Now you say that selling should no longer be seen as a game, right? We, the game of selling as it's, it's yep. so often called, but rather as a, as a puzzle. Um, how so? Well, so if you think about it, most most books, and obviously the go-giver being a major exception to this, but most books that talk about sales at all either use a game metaphor or a battle metaphor. So the game metaphor means that you have a winner and a loser, and in the battle metaphor, the loser dies. Well, if you start with that premise, <laughs> you're probably going to end up in an adversarial position. Well, that's a good point, yeah. Right? Instead, what we want to think of is every time I go to speak with a potential client, my goal is to see whether or not the puzzle pieces that I carry fit with the puzzle they're trying to put together. And if there's a good fit, that's great. But if there's not a fit, it's not like we have rejection. It's not like we failed. We just concluded that 
our puzzle pieces don't fit together right now. And if we leave acknowledging that, then the door is probably open for us to come back in, potentially help them in the future. Okay, well, let's talk about that FIT, because FIT, F-I-T, stands for? Finding Impact Together. Ah, and so, now we're on to something. Yeah, and so when we talk about find impact together, the idea is this, is that what we want to look at with our, with our potential clients is this notion of, first, is this issue that they brought up to you important enough? Does it rise to a high enough level of priority for them that a solution is worth it for them? Because mm-hmm. too often what happens is the client says, oh, we're thinking about doing X. And we never ask them a very simple question, which is, why have you thought about doing that? Why is that important to do right now? What happens if you don't solve this? And the first thing we have to be convinced of by our clients or potential clients is, is this a big enough issue that's worth solving? And if it is, then we can evaluate if our solution can help them get there. But if it's not important to them, we don't really need to invest a lot of time helping someone fix something that they don't feel is worth fixing. Right. And you go through some magnificent discovery aspects and questions within the the book too. How do you create a same side selling presentation if you will? What are the what are the the elements that go into it? Well, the the first the first piece of it is this is that it's much more of a dialogue than a presentation. And what I mean by that is the first thing that anybody who is selling anything, any entrepreneur has to establish is what are the challenges or problems that we're, that we are really good at solving? What do we excel where we actually offer a better solution than anyone on the planet at whatever that is. And if we can articulate that piece, if we can, if we can convey to somebody, here's the area that if you're experiencing this sort of problem, we're better at that than anybody else then instead of talking about what it is that we do, we should describe to people, here are the types of problems that we solve. And we, mm. we, we, we use a formula called the same side pitch, which follows the model of entice, disarm, and discover. And so if you want, I can unpack those three, entice, disarm, and discover. Yeah, so, let's do it. So, so the idea is that first we entice by sharing problems that we solve with extraordinary results. We then disarm the notion that we are there to sell something by acknowledging that not everyone's a right fit for our approach. Mm-hmm. And then we trigger a, a discovery phase to learn more about their situation. And the idea is that if I just walked in old school, people would say, well, we start with discovery and we ask them what keeps them up at night. And the problem is I don't necessarily know what they're going to say. It might have something that might, might have something to do with an area we can help or it might not. But if I describe challenges that we solve with extraordinary results, someone's going to say, you know, I didn't even thought about it, but that one challenge you just described, we're experiencing that. And so the form of the same side pitch becomes our clients come to us when, and then you fill in these complaints or rants, as we often call them, about what people complain about. And for the right organizations, we deliver amazing results, but the way we approach that isn't the right fit for everybody. Mm-hmm. So I don't yet know if we can help you, and that's the disarm. And right. then we trigger discover to say, if that's important to you, however, I'm happy to learn more to see if we can help. Now, it's important to recognize it's not a Jedi mind trick. It's not deception or coercion. If you really take an honest look at your prospects, you'll realize that less than half of them are a good fit for what you do. Sure. Now, I've got to... Um 
highlights something because it it uh, it fits right with this. You were do you told the story in the book where you were doing a presentation with one of your salespeople. Excuse me, the salesperson was doing the presentation, yep. and it just did not look like a fit. And he was really trying to kind of force that fit. Yeah. And uh, you finally kind of jumped in and, and and said to the the prospect, you know this this really isn't something that that we can do for you that you know that we have a fit here and so forth and so on and she then asked you and she was so impressed with you saying that that she asked well have you ever done a and you said well you know we've done something like that with with other companies in the market but nothing exactly like that and she said well i've been around long enough to know if someone could have and i've had three other companies say yes they could and she was so grateful for your honesty and really wanting for this for there to be a fit only if there really was one absolutely it is something that a lot of people it scares the heck out of them because and you got the business by the way because she and let's end with that it wasn't just a you know uh so long you got the business oh oh yeah and the, the funny part was that i had a salesperson who was working for me at the time who was skeptical about whether or not the client could spend tens of thousands of dollars and by t- by explaining that our solution probably wasn't the best fit the way we were describing it, learning m- more about their situation, being honest about what we had and had not done, it built enough trust with them that they said, well, I'm more comfortable with you doing this. We ended up doing well over $10 million of business with that mm. client over the next several mm-hmm. years on something that, remember, the rep originally was afraid to sell something for tens right. of thousands of dollars. Right. Now, I love this quote of yours. Had to find a way to fit this. It's one of my favorites. Any diversion from the buyer's challenge decreases your chances of having an impact. And you told the story of, I think it was Ed and George, if I remember correctly, who went to give a presentation, traveled across country, spent the first 15 minutes on themselves, and only then <laughs> did they look, you know, ask about, now let's talk about, you know, now let's talk about you. What do you, yeah, it's, what do you think of me? <laughs> it reminded me of that. And, 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 and isn't that so true, though, that if, unless you have that focus in the right place, you're absolutely dead on, Bob. I mean, and, and this is, it's not surprising that, that you hit this um, dead on. Um, this is something you've been teaching people for, for a while, is this, this notion that it doesn't matter what you think the solution is going to do. If the client doesn't understand why they need it or what problem it solves for them, they don't care. So I've done research with over 10,000 CEOs and executives around the world and how they make and improve decisions. And the questions they ask come down to these three, which is, what problem does this solve or why do I need it? The second question they will ask, if, in, in the scenario is, we, we paint this scenario where, look, you're a C-level executive. Someone on your team comes to you and wants to spend money on this fictitious object. It could be a product, could be a service. They're going to spend $20,000. What are the questions you have to ask to be comfortable making an informed decision? And the questions they come back to are, what problems does it solve or why do I need it? What's the likely outcome result? or what's it likely outcome or result, and then what are the alternatives? So those are kind of the three buckets. The interesting thing is that what problem does it solve or why do I need it is always first. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that's important Mm -hmm. is because people often talk about here's the benefit of our solution, but if the client isn't experiencing the problem, if they don't understand why they need it, they don't care what the results are because they may not believe that they have a condition that warrants that treatment to use a better, you know, to use mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm, a better mm-hmm. term. Yep. No, very good. Uh, Ian, here's a question that never, 
ever, ever gets old. Okay. Uh, so I want to discuss this with you. And I, I love discussing this, by the way, with all my guests who are sales experts, such as you. What should sellers do when they're facing pressure to discount their prices? Well, usually, and by the way, almost every business is going to face pricing pressure at some level or another. And the reason why is because anything that you're willing to pay, let's say $10,000 for, you as a customer would like to pay less than $10,000. Right. So it's perfectly okay that someone wants to pay less for something. So first, don't don't think of it as like someone's just, you know, someone's just guilty of a criminal act because they want to pay less. <laughs> that's that's perfectly understandable from the buyer standpoint. They may even be measured by how much they can save. However, when we're facing pricing pressure, it's usually a function of we haven't done a good job with our client of articulating the impact of not solving the problem. Mm-hmm. as well as the measurable results together, they're going to tell us whether or not it was successful. Because in the absence of the of measuring the impact of not solving it, in the absence of identifying how we're going to measure the results, everything seems too expensive. And there's a story that we, we, we tell in the book of a situation where I was, I was, as a young salesperson, before I started any of my businesses, I was dealing with a Fortune 500 company. We were a mainframe-based company, and these people had to convert 300 images to put on the mainframe. And these 300 images, um, the mainframe really wasn't designed for this. The head of engineering came back and told me, look, it's going to cost about $1,000 per image to convert the 300 images. And I'm thinking, well, there's no way in heck anyone's going to pay for for this. It's, It's ridiculous. And as I met with a client, I said, well, gee, why is it again that you're looking to convert these images? And they said, oh, I don't think we ever talked about it, ENC. Because of our systems, we can't get the images out there. And we've calculated that since our competitors can and we can't, we're losing between 30 and $40 million a quarter because we can't, can't get the images out there. Wow. Well, now all of a sudden, the $300,000 became a rounding error. But exactly. Be- before that, as the <laughs> seller, I was convinced mm-hmm. there was no way it was going to happen, which is why I always say price and all objections matter most when the seller believes they matter most. Mm. Fantastic. Now, we know, and you you share in the book, you and Jack share in the book, wonderful skills. And uh, the, you know, I, I was just, everyone get this book. If you're a seller and you're serious about what you're doing, this is a great book for you. Uh, and obviously, you know, it takes practice. These are skills that need to be built. Now, you invented a game to help with this, and I'm very excited about this. It's called the Same Side Improv Game. Would you tell us about that? Exactly. So for so for starters, we call it improv. And, and first, let me thank you for the kind words about the book. It really means a lot coming from, especially coming from you, that, oh. um, that the book makes an impact. Uh, so on, on this idea of Same Side Improv, we call it improv because in an improvisation, one of the one of the principles is that your job is to make the other party look good. Mm-hmm, Sometimes mm-hmm. when people are role playing, they believe when they're the customer, their job is to play the most stubborn curmudgeon. Yeah, I've seen client. that. Yeah, it's not very practical because the person who is that confrontational probably isn't a good client for you. Anyway. <laughs> right, right. So let's not <laughs> practice that. But instead, we want to practice real world situations. The, the biggest complaints that I heard as we were developing this about people role-playing is they said, well, it's not realistic. 
Or let's say I'm role playing with you, Bob, and I say to people, well, gee, Bob plays the same character every time. So <laughs> this will be great if I'm ever selling against Bob or selling Bob, to right. Bob, but otherwise <laughs> it's not going to help me because I'm only good at selling to Bob now. Right, exactly. Right? Or it's, you know, it's the same routine over and over. Or the other thing is people say, well, there's no real you know, point to it. What's the goal? What are we trying to achieve? So when we built Same Side Improv, as, as I designed it, the idea was, well, so there's different scenarios that come up. So there may be information related to how you met this person. There may be information related to their role. And there are other elements called secrets that our customers don't necessarily openly tell us, but actually have a lot to do with their behavior. So in each round, there is a salesperson, a customer, and an observer. The customer or prospect picks the cards, and they'll pick a card that describes their role, how they met the salesperson, and then between one and three of these secret cards. And the secret cards are things like they're just using this meeting to try and leverage their existing vendor. They're trying to get free information. They don't think they really need it. They've tried unsuccessfully to, to implement this internally or externally. Um, they, um, they don't trust vendors. There's executive pressure to solve this. They're going to lose their job if they don't find a solution. All these different things that usually don't get articulated. And the idea is that in each round, it's a minimum five minutes, maximum 10 minutes, and then you get feedback at the end of it. And the neat part is that what people say to me is two things, one that we anticipated and one that was a total surprise. The anticipated part is people said, wow, I met with a client and our meeting went almost exactly like we had rehearsed it, which is candidly what we were expecting and hoping. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. was unexpected is this, is that people said, you know, so we met with this client and I knew within five minutes which secret cards they had. Well, it's not like with a real uh -huh. meeting, you walk in with cards and hand them to your prospect and say, here, this is your role today. So I said, well, what do you mean you knew which cards they had? You're not really handing out cards at a, at a real meeting, are you? I said, no, no. What I mean is the client was asking the same questions and making the same statements that we make when we get those cards. So we knew what was going on because that's how we behave when we get those cards. So I looked at the client and said, gee, it sounds like you're happy with your current provider. You're just trying to kind of get some leverage on pricing with them. And the client looks with this look of shock like, yeah, that's kind of what's going on. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. But it, 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 provides a, <laughs> it provides a framework where people can get comfortable and practice with mm -hmm. repetition. And literally, it's the kind of thing that I tell people, look, if you get three people and you do this for an hour, that means each person gets a chance to play each of the three roles, the salesperson, the customer, and the observer. In one hour a week, you can have dramatic impact on the results in the organization, people's proficiency at these skills. Terrific. Ian Altman, Same Side Selling, a radical approach to break through sales barriers, co-authored with Jack Quarles, and the Same Side Improv game, both at ianaltman.com and in the show notes, as is the URL for his podcast, Grow My Revenue Business Cast, on iTunes. Ian also speaks at sales conferences, and this guy is all over the world, so check out his availability for your next sales or leadership conference. Thank you, Ian. I'm glad we're on the same side. <laughs> Bob, always a pleasure to be with you. The big lesson I learned from Ian is that as sales professionals, we must learn and honor the mindset of the customer, understand where they are coming from, how they buy, and what they are looking to accomplish. 
get on the same side, and your sales production will flourish. How do you do in this regard? How can you utilize Ian's wisdom to be a same-side sales professional? Please feel free to write to me at bob at berg.com and let me know. We might even share your email on an upcoming program. Remember, the Go-Giver makes an excellent gift to those in your life in order to help them lead better, sell more, and touch the lives of more people in positive and significant ways. Visit thegogiver.com and check out the new expanded edition of the book. And while you're there, check out John David Mann's and my newest book, The Go-Giver Leader. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and provide a review on iTunes. Visit thegogiver.com slash reviews. I enjoy reading every review. And your review will also help others to much more easily find this show. That's all for today. The Go-Giver podcast is brought to you by thegogiver.com. Visit www.thegogiver.com and get our free special report, The Go-Giver Way, Five Principles for Creating a Culture of Excellence. That's thegogiver.com. Stop on by. Thank you so much for joining me. And until next time, I'm Bob Berg. Make it a great day.